of the day. Okay. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. Yeah. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. We're getting ever closer. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Defending the Kingdom. Mitch Holtz with you, voice of the Chiefs, along with Chiefs reporter Matt Stat himself, Matt McMullen. All right. We think about the draft all year long. Some people get into the draft more they get into the games. But as we get closer, now all of a sudden the tension goes up. We get ready for the 2022 NFL Draft. And on this episode, we're calling it uh, the three V's here. Uh, as we're going looking at volume, value, and then victory. How did the Chiefs win the 2022 NFL Draft? But before we do that... Is a now it's turned into a defending the kingdom tradition. We go around the world. Yeah, got to do it. So we have people all over once again who have been listening to DTK and who have checked in. So we'll start with Ricardo in Spain. Ricardo is our lone person outside of the U.S. this week. So Ricardo, wow. congratulations to you, Ricardo in Spain. We also have Cynthia from San Diego, a listener in San Francisco, Larry in East Los Angeles, Austin from Lancaster, California, John in Elkins, West Virginia. Ryan in Newark, New Jersey, Steve in New York City, Troy in Shinglehouse, Pennsylvania, Ron from Wichita, a fan since 1972, uh, Jeremy in Carrollton, Texas, we've heard from him before, he let us know that he's moving to Corpus Christi in a few months, so good luck with your move, Jeremy. Uh, we have Justin. In Take Can your kingdom flag with you. Exactly, I'm sure he will. Yeah, put it right there right on the coast. Uh, we have Justin in Kansas City, and that should serve as a reminder that even if you're listening in the Kansas City metro, let us know. And I will read it. So Justin in Kansas City. Um, Thomas from Niagara Falls, out there in Bill's country. Love that. Uh, Cliff in Hawaii. Uh, Tommy in Fargo, North Dakota. A listener in Massachusetts. And Declan in St. Louis. Declan's a cool name. I love that. Yeah. Then also, lots of declarations. So as a reminder here, if you are somewhere <laughs> in the world and you want to plant your Chiefs Kingdom flag and say where I live is... It's Chiefs all about Kingdom sovereignty. East. It is Chiefs Kingdom sovereignty. You got to do it. Yep. We have more of those. So I mentioned that we don't have that many international listeners this time around. We do have some in this bucket of people. So we have Greg. He declared Winnipeg, Manitoba as Kingdom North Central. You've mentioned the Winnipeg fans before. Oh, right? Yeah, they come to every game, every <laughs> game, every home game. It's amazing. So they're, they're crazy. Uh, we've got Mike. He declared Manchester, New York as Chiefs Kingdom in the Finger Lakes. That's creative. Uh, a listener declared American Samoa as Arrowhead Samoa Kingdom South Pacific. Love that. Yes, sir. Uh, Raymond declared Independence County, Arkansas for the kingdom. John in Wichita. He's a repeat defender and claims Wichita as Kingdom South Central. <laughs> Anthony, he, he listens from all over the country and declares America as Chiefs country and America's team. The entire country. The entire country. That's what He's driving that's all over the place. Hey, go big or go home. Yeah, so all of America is declared for Chiefs kingdom. And he also shouted out Matt Montgomery, who works in our business development department here at the Chiefs. I get Matt's emails a lot and vice versa. So I know Matt, I you know, the that. double M's, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but shouting out Matt Montgomery on DTK. Um, we have Travis. He claimed Denton, Texas as Arrowhead, North Texas. Justin declared Lakeland, Florida as Little Bit Southeast Chiefs Kingdom. I like that. And then Chris declared Bloomfield, New Mexico as Arrowhead Southwest. Now, when I'm looking for these declarations or where you're listening from, I'm looking everywhere. It's so like Twitter DMs on Twitter in general, YouTube comments everywhere. But I forgot to look at the Apple comments. I don't really ever look at that, and I forgot to look at that. I looked at that a few days ago and realized we have some people from, like, November who declared where they were listening from, and I didn't read them. So I'm going to do that right now because you deserve it. Okay. So Brian declared Parker, Colorado as Arrowhead Mile High. It's great. 
And then also we had listeners in Springfield, John in Springfield, Coach Beam in Flush, Kansas, uh, yeah. a listener in Juniper, Florida, and lastly, Eltree in Southern California. We're big in Flush, Kansas. Springfield, Illinois, Springfield, Missouri. Which Springfield, but we love them, any Springfield. My favorite in that whole list might be Shingle House, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Where is Shingle House, Pennsylvania? Just let us know. Uh, so anyway, we hear from around the world and this episode around the country. And this country and around the world is interested in the uh, 2022 NFL Draft. By the way, these are our draft hats for the 2022 season, available at the Pro Shop, I'm sure. So if you're going to get really cool for the draft, make sure you got your hat on. Because to me, this is one of the more historic potential drafts for the Chiefs for sure in 10 years. Uh, when you look at it, you go back. There's the most picks the Chiefs have had since 2008. Think about how uh, impactful the 2013 draft was only because it set the tone. It was putting up the red iron and the foundation for what has become nine years of winning and six straight division titles and a Super Bowl championship. That was the start of things. This feels like a restart of things with the 2022 draft. We start with our first V, and that is volume. So 12 picks in this draft. Everybody knows that. Six picks in the first 103. That's where this draft gets significant. But from a sheer volume standpoint, it hasn't been this way in 14 seasons. Yeah, it really hasn't. And for the Chiefs, we've been so focused on free agency or retaining the players that we already have for so long, which is a good thing because that means you have pretty good players. But this is the most important draft, I think, in the Coach Reed era, besides maybe 2013 because that was a full reset. Yeah. But really, this is an opportunity for the Chiefs to replenish this roster and set it up for success for a decade because we already have so many great things in place in Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in football. Coach Reed, a Hall of Fame head coach. You have all these great things already, and you have a chance here with this volume of picks, 12 picks in this draft, the most of any team, to really find some good impact players to replenish this roster for years to come. You mentioned those six picks in the first three rounds and the first 103 selections. That's the most of any team. The Lions, the Texans, the Jets, the Giants, the Falcons, the Eagles, and the Packers each have five. Besides the Packers and kind of the Eagles, all of those teams are rebuilding. So it makes sense they have a lot of picks. But how often does a team that has been to four consecutive conference title games <laughs> have six picks in the top 103. It just doesn't happen very often. You mentioned 2008. Uh, as a matter of fact, the last time that the Chiefs picked six players in the top 105 selections, which 105 is the end of the third round this year, was 2008. They picked seven players in the top 105 that year. Think of some of the players they got in that draft in the top 105. Brandon Albert at pick number 15. Uh, Brandon Flowers at pick number 35. And Jamal Charles at pick number 73. You have to go all the way back to 1981 to find a draft where the Chiefs got that many players in the top 105 before 2008. So this does not happen very often. And the hope for the Chiefs going into this draft is you hope you find guys like Brandon Albert or Jamal Charles or Brandon Flowers. Brandon Carr was also in that draft a bit yeah. later on. So you don't have to hit on all of them, but you hope that you can get three to four impact guys, starters long-term out of this draft, particularly early on. It's a great opportunity and potentially five to six. We'll get on that more as we get into this. But just to go down the line here, the 29th, the 30th, the 50th, the 62nd, the 94th, and the 103rd picks. Okay, will the Chiefs keep all those? Hmm, maybe, maybe not. We also know how Veach is, man. He's he's on the treadmill at, you know, elevation 20 and going 1,000 miles an hour. Um, but what this does for the Chiefs, it does a lot of things. 
Now, let's put this in historical context, too, even further. For the past five seasons, the Chiefs have had exactly six picks. It's been six picks, six picks, six picks in this rhythm. So now all of a sudden you're doubling that (laughs) going into the 2022 draft. But to me, and I think everybody agrees here, most everybody agrees, what it does mostly is give you an ability to maneuver. You're going into this draft with, you can call it whatever you want, equity, currency, capital, but you've got that for a chance to move. Uh, Let's just take the wide receiver position. Most of the mock drafts have the Chiefs thinking about moving up, bundling picks, uh, and moving up to get a guy, let's say like Jamison Williams, uh, the kid from Alabama who's coming off the ACL injury, but it does give you that flexibility, either move up or down, because you're bringing a lot of chips to the table in this draft. And that's so, so valuable. So the Chiefs could go into this draft. They could stand pat, use all of their picks, and that's great. You have 12 new players coming into Chiefs' kingdom, probably all really good players, right, players that you like, and that would be fine. But when you have this kind of capital, and not just the 12 picks overall, but those six picks in the first three rounds, you can move around wherever you want. So really, if there's a guy that you want at – 12 in the first round conceivably you can do it and of course you weigh is it worth it and that's for Brett Veach to decide but to have this kind of capital to move all over the place to move back if you want uh, is super super valuable the Chiefs just haven't had that flexibility in recent years I mean if they want to get a guy they're trading a pick in future drafts and you you don't want to do that because that hampers your your future uh, guys that you can pick up so uh, for the Chiefs to have the flexibility in this draft to move wherever they want is really exciting because you can let your scouting staff figure out the guys that they like and if they're there if they're five picks away and you're worried another team might go grab them you have the ability to move so in this as we end this volume part of our episode here of Defending the Kingdom, winning the 2022 NFL Draft with volume, value, victory. The other part of volume here is also evaluating your competition, and you have to find willing trade partners. Think about the blockbuster trade to get Mahomes. That had to be maneuvered, Uh, but you've also got to look here at what your opponents are trying to do. Now, the Broncos and the Raiders aren't seen much here early part of this round. They don't have the picks. Chargers do. However, uh, what's the enemy going to do here within your division? That's where it starts. Two, then you look at your uh, main uh, contenders in the AFC, and we all know who they are, the Bills, the Bengals, uh, as you go down the line. Uh, Colts, perhaps, getting back in there, the Titans. But who? what's your enemy going to do? Who are your willing trade partners? Because that becomes a big dynamic in trying to pull this off and winning Let's say I think the general thought is you keep eight of these picks and six of them hit. Uh, that would be a big-time A grade. We'll get into that as we determine what the victory would be in the 2022 NFL draft. But there's dynamics here, but you have to find willing trade partners. And your point earlier was a good one in that you've got rebuilding teams, and some of those rebuilding teams end up being your trade partners. Yeah, because all they want is more picks. They want players. They, <laughs> they want players. And as many players as they can get. Uh, but for the Chiefs, looking at the AFC West – Uh, specifically, we know the AFC West, the other teams, have gone all in for the most part this offseason. That's been the talk of the offseason, right? The Raiders go get uh, Devontae Adams. They sign Chandler Jones. Uh, The Broncos go get Russell Wilson. Uh, And, of course, the Chargers trade for Khalil Mack, sign J.C. Jackson, re-sign Mike Williams. Everybody's going all in. But going all in comes at a cost. And if you look at what some of these teams have in the draft, as you alluded to, it's, it's not much. So I mentioned that the Chiefs have six picks in the top 105 selections. The Broncos, Chargers, and Raiders have six picks in the top three rounds combined. 
All right? So these teams are not bringing in a lot of young players to replenish their roster. They're relying on the guys that they've signed in free agency and traded for, which for this season, that might be great. But for moving forward, for future years, it could hurt them. I mean, Denver doesn't pick until number 64. Vegas doesn't pick until number 86. And the Chargers, yeah, they have a first-round pick. They pick at number 17. They'll get a good player there, I'm sure. But then they don't pick again until pick number 79. So it comes at a cost when you go all in like this. And the exciting thing for the Chiefs is the Chiefs still have a championship-caliber roster. They have players that have been to the Super Bowl, that have won a championship and been to two Super Bowls, uh, but yet they didn't have to uh, give away all their picks to get there. And that once again, have 12 total selections and six selections in the top 105 when other teams in your division do not. For year two, three, four of these rookies' careers, it could be a big deal for the Chiefs and a good opportunity uh, to really establish that dominance over the AFC West. So very interesting, not just watching the Chiefs, but also these other teams, because if they can't hit on these few picks, that's a big deal. Yep. Chiefs also, people forget, of the 14 teams that started the 2021 playoffs, the Chiefs had the youngest average roster of any of those 14 teams. So now all of a sudden you've got a chance to pile on and add to that group of young talent that's already here on this Chiefs roster. All right, let's get into the value of this draft. Because to me, if you want to look at an overall theme of the 2022 draft, it is value. There's a lot of guys with the same kind of grades. When you're looking, if you want to give them a number grade, you look at a seven is like a can't-miss star. Then there's a lots of six-and-a-halves here. So being in that sweet spot, if you will, and you've done a great job, and, and last year we both were doing this, of looking at every round and picking out, hey, where the Chiefs have been able to score. The third round, of course, is the golden <laughs> round. But when you look at the second, third, and fourth round and who's available there, there's loads of guys here. So let's just take and start with the edge position. Now, in the some think there's five or six like elite edge players. Now we Hutchinson will probably go first. Then you look at Thibodeau, maybe Jermaine Johnson, but there's value here and there's depth at the edge position. Yeah, the good news for the Chiefs is if you look at the areas they may want to address in the draft, those areas in this draft are very deep. It's great news. I mean, that doesn't really happen very often. And edge is maybe the biggest spot where the Chiefs want to add some guys. And as you mentioned, I mean, this draft is very deep in edge players. Now, you mentioned Hutchinson and Thibodeau and Jermaine Johnson. I think Trayvon Walker also yep. is in that maybe top 10 category. Johnson's interesting because you kind of see him going all over the place if you kind of follow what the draft is. either love him or hate him. You know? Yeah, like I've seen people have him go in the top 10, and I've seen him go in the 20s. You he's know? also got a kingdom connection. He's really interesting to me Yeah, because he's on Lance Chance U. You know, <laughs> yeah. He's in in the he Independence <laughs> Community College, uh, two years of Last Chance U, and he visited Arrowhead Stadium in year two of Last Chance U, being a defensive end, and then, of course, he had the great year at Florida State. Mitchell texted me at, like, 2 a.m. on a Tuesday and be like, if you watch Last Chance U, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Jermaine Johnson. <laughs> Jermaine Johnson. Yeah. But he's an interesting player. Yeah. He's a guy that really blew up um, after being a reserve at Georgia, which that's not really a slight on him because that Georgia defense could probably compete in the NFL as good as they were. I mean, there could be, like, five players from that Georgia defense mm. taken in the first round. But he transferred from Georgia, went to Florida State this past year, and just blew up. I mean, he was awesome. Really plays the run as well, which I like when watching him. But Jermaine Johnson is a name to know uh, for sure. For me, he's kind of the guy that if the Chiefs wanted to move up in that first round, he kind of makes some realistic sense. Those other three guys, Thibodeau, Hutchinson, uh, and Trayvon Walker, will probably be long gone. But long gone. There's other names, too, besides Jermaine Johnson. I mean, George 
DeSantis from Purdue, a real powerful guy. He wins with just brute country strength. He's from Greece, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Boye Mafe from Minnesota, a totally different kind of player, but really athletic, one of the best get-offs in this class. Boye Mafe could be there uh, if the Chiefs don't even move at all. He could be there at the bottom end of the first round. Um, and then other guys, one guy who's interesting that wouldn't help this season, but David Ajobo from Michigan. I mean, some people have been talking about the Chiefs have so many picks, you could take a guy like David Ajobo, maybe not in the first round, but maybe in the second round and stash him. He uh, blew out his Achilles at his pro day, but he would have been a top 15 pick. I mean, he's a tremendous prospect off the edge that could be available for you the following season. So uh, lots of edge prospects in this draft. There's lots of guys that could be available in the second and third rounds that maybe in other drafts would have been taken higher just because this position is so deep. The edge position is tricky because you almost have two types of edges here. One is the screaming off-the-edge pass rusher. Now, those guys we mentioned at the top are both of these categories. Then you have the guy that can move inside. Karloftis is a guy that comes to mind. He looks more of like a sub-down, move-inside guy. Is he Trey Hendrickson of the Bengals? Um, who, who is he? Um, but this is where the value comes into play. Let me give you some names here that won't be flying off the board on day one, but would be there on day two. Kingsley Ngabari of South Carolina. Uh, the comparisons have made, remember, Emmanuel Ogba. Now, played last year for the Dolphins, was with us a couple years ago. Or a guy like Josh Paschal from Kentucky. They are listed as both kind of edge hybrid inside guys. So when you look, not all edge guys are created equal. And so for the Chiefs, there could be value uh, from a standpoint. You, you mentioned, I love Boye Mafe, by the way, of Minnesota. He's more of the screaming off the edge uh, pass rush guy. But there could be value in that second or third round. Remember the six of the first 103 in the edge department that could be both an inside and outside. And remember, one thing that Spags loves on this defense, Steve Spagnolo, is flexibility above all else. Uh, another guy that fits that mold is Cameron Thomas from San Diego yeah. State. Big, uh, strong defensive end that can also play inside. I love his motor. His film is a lot of fun to watch. So I totally agree. There's guys like that in this draft. As you said, not all edges are built the same. There's also some edges in this draft that are probably more 3-4 outside linebackers. Just pure pass rushers maybe won't fit as a guy with their hand in the dirt getting after the passer. They just can't line up over tackles. Those guys exist in this draft, but uh, lots of players who can do a lot of different things. And versatility is so important in Spag's defense. So uh, once again, the good news for the Chiefs is there's so many good players who can get after the passer in this draft that it's a good draft to need an edge rusher and to have so many picks in the first three rounds. When people ask or think about the Chiefs generally, either inside or outside of the kingdom, they think wide receiver. Um, it's been an active offseason, of course, the trade to the Dolphins, uh, sending Tyreek Hill there. That's put the Chiefs in this position with so many draft picks, uh, one of the reasons. But then, too, Marquez Valdez-Scanling to get him signed, Juju Smith-Schuster, kind of a redo of the wide receiver room. This draft, uh, and you mentioned, we talked about value here, there is depth in this draft at wide receiver. Now, let's give one caveat here in studying Andy Reid for nine seasons and looking at this offense. One thing to think about when you evaluate these wide receivers in the 2022 draft, what does Andy Reid like? He likes a receiver that can play every wide receiver position. Some guys get slotted into the X receiver, the true split in. Think about the DK Metcalf type guys. But what Andy Reid likes, a guy that can play X, Y, or a uh, 
uh, slot position, I mean, even the F position or the R position, but they've got to move around and learn them all. And that's when these receivers in the Chiefs system become most effective. So to me, when I evaluate this class, there's a lot of them here, but I look at who has the acumen and the skills to fit an Andy Reid, I want you to do everything. Yeah, it's not easy. And, not easy. And just like the edges, not every receiver is built the same. They're not just wide receivers. These guys have strengths and things that they're good at, and would it fit in Coach Reed's system? Now, just like Edge, the good news, like you said, is that this draft is full of really good receivers. It's a good draft to need a receiver and to have lots of picks in the top three rounds. And Matt Miller from ESPN is one of the best draft analysts out there. Um, I caught up with him a few weeks ago, and he had nine receivers in his top 40 players overall. Uh, a quarter of his top 40 players are receivers. So that's good news for the Chiefs when you have all these picks early on. Um, I, I, what's interesting, though, about this class is that I don't think anyone can agree on who the best receiver is. In, in years past, there's one guy at the top, like Jamar Chase, you know, that he's the unquestioned number one, and then a bunch of other guys that everyone argues about. But in this draft, I don't know who it is. Is it Drake London? He's gaining steam recently. Big receiver out of USC. I mean, he'd be awesome in the Chiefs' offense, but I don't know if he's going to get out of the top ten now. But for the and longest time... don't you time, think it'd be Jamison Williams if he did not have the ACL? I was going to mention that because yeah. Jamison Williams... If he didn't tear his ACL, just like David Ajobo, if he didn't blow out his Achilles uh, at his pro day, and even more so because I think Ajobo was maybe a top 15 pick, top 12 pick, Jamison Williams is probably a top 8 pick in the draft if he's entirely healthy. Uh, Williams is the top deep threat in all of college football last year. I mean, he was absolutely electric. Can you imagine Patrick Mahomes' arm with Jamison Williams' speed and ability to stretch the field? And doesn't he kind of fit what we're talking about where he could play the slot, he could play the X, he can move around? Yeah. So he kind of fits that mold of an Andy Reid receiver. He does. I mean, yeah, of course, the big plays are the exciting plays, but uh, if you watch in red zone, he's super effective too because he's so quick with his feet. So Jamison Williams, if you can stomach the fact that he probably won't be available until, I don't know, late September, early October, and it might take a full year for him to recover. If you're patient with that, he could be a great value pick wherever you could find him in the first round if he falls to 29 or if you want to trade up but there's also guys like Garrett Williams Garrett or Garrett Wilson rather um, from Ohio State Uh, for the longest time he was considered the top receiver in the draft and it seems like Drake London has kind of passed him Um, but he's a really good player then you have Chris Olave also from Ohio State Uh, had a great combine he's a really exciting player as well great speed great route running uh, acumen and then some interesting players like Traylon Burks and George Pickens Burks from Arkansas and Pickens from Georgia, bigger-bodied players who also have speed and tremendous catch radiuses. So uh, depending on the kind of receiver you want in this draft, there's lots of options. Uh, And if the Chiefs don't go receiver in the first round, that's okay because they still have lots of guys they can go get. Guys like Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, I like him a lot. Yeah. Uh, And maybe the second round, Mel Kuyper in his most recent mock draft has the Chiefs taking Jalen Tolbert. Kind of a raw player who didn't face a ton of top competition, but, I mean, was incredible. He had like 16 deep receptions last year. Uh, It was like fifth in all of college football. And Christian Watson from North Dakota State is another popular name that I've been seeing a lot. Uh, big physical receiver. Played at a smaller school, but North Dakota State's like the Alabama uh, of their league. So the FCS, the whole FCS. Basically, like they, yeah. They run that. So we could go on and on about wide receivers, but lots of options for the Chiefs. Christian Watson is really interesting because he, he, he was under the radar and then he blows up uh, at the Combine Senior Bowl. Then he pops a 4-3-6 <laughs> at the Combine. And he's another guy, because of his intelligence, I think, that can play – the 
every position in this offense. You know, the other dynamic here is we push on then to look at some other parts of this draft uh, in our value segment here of this uh, defending the kingdom is that, you know, the NFL is interesting. Somebody goes, hey, well, that's really cool. I think we'll do that. It's the Debo Samuel factor to me. Everybody saw the 49ers last year go, Wow, that's cool. They use Debo Samuel not only as all the as wide receiver positions. Oh, he's also a running back. And they see that power uh, combo. Uh, so uh, in the case of the USC receiver, I think that's a case. The Arkansas receiver, the same. Everybody kind of wants, or many people want, well, where's Debo Samuel in this draft? Well, I think for years, people were trying to find their version of Tyree Kill, yeah. right? Or trying to find Travis Kelsey, trying <laughs> to find that guy. And the reality is there's only one that guy. And there's only one Debo Samuel. I mean, what an incredible Swiss Army knife he is. But when you look at some of these body types, guys like Traylon Burks, who have great speed. I mean, he reached like 23 miles per hour or something one time last season for Arkansas. But he's like 220 pounds. It doesn't make any sense how you can have that much power and that speed. But athletes nowadays, they just have it. And Traylon Burks, uh, I think think about Coach Reed and how creative he is in offense, Traylon Burks could be a lot of fun to watch to see what he could do with him. All right. The third part of the value to me is I call it the Sneed factor because we like to categorize these guys. This guy's a safety. This guy's a corner. This guy's an edge. This guy's an inside linebacker. And what we have seen in the National Football League evolve over time, and we've seen it for sure with the Chiefs, are these combo, he's really a whole bunch of stuff. And we saw that with Lazarius Sneed. Uh, a corner start outing at Louisiana Tech. Then he goes to safety. Then he comes to the Chiefs, one of the best slot corners in the entire National Football League who can also play on the outside. Everybody's looking to, or most people are looking at, what are the Chiefs going to do at corner? What's going to happen at corner? And when you look now at the roster, as we do this Defending the Kingdom episode, there's not a lot of names at corner sitting there. But I, put a, I call it the Sneed factor, and it's the Spags factor, too, of what he likes uh, at those – the corner Sneed position. Uh, Kair Elam of Florida comes to mind. A bigger uh, guy that can play the slot corner. Another guy is Jalen P- uh, Petrie of Baylor. Uh, played slot almost entirely for the Baylor Bears. Bigger, uh, fast enough, powerful. Spags wants his corners to play the run. If you think about it, they are all also among the top five tacklers or five to seven tacklers on the Chiefs every year. So the small, I'm just going to cover fast corner doesn't seem to fit in Spags' system. Yeah, I think about Kendall Fuller as well because Kendall was a corner for the Chiefs, then got hurt and came back as a safety. safety. Yeah, so you want that versatility in your defensive backs. It truly is defensive backs with Spags. And I like Kyer Elam a lot because when you watch him, you mentioned his tackling against the run. Listen, I know it's obvious every football player should want to tackle, but not all corners want to tackle. If you watch film, you realize that, that not all corners are interested in playing the run and tackling. Kair Elam enjoys it. You can tell. I mean, he just goes right after guys. You want that in a corner uh, if you're Steve Spagnuolo. Uh, Dax Hill from Michigan is also interesting. He's a guy that played uh, primarily slot corner for the Wolverines, but projects because he has great speed as a safety in the NFL, but he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, you mentioned Jalen Petrie. I like him a lot. And also, Lewis Seen from Georgia, another player from the University of Georgia. He can do just a little bit of everything. Great tackler. He missed like six tackles his entire career. Uh, he went after guys. He enjoyed tackling. But also a ball hawk when playing the open field. Very hard to find players that are great in the open field in terms of coverage, but also are great tacklers in space. And Lewis Seen is really both of those things. Um, 
Martin Emerson uh, from Mississippi State makes a lot of sense. He has some good height. And also, there's like some project kind of players that maybe played at some smaller schools but have truly freaky uh, athletic intangibles. So Zion McCollum from Sam Houston State, he's six foot four and ran a 4-3-3 40-yard dash. And Tariq Woolen um, from UTSA, 6'4", and ran a 4-2-6? Like, what's in the water there? I don't understand how that's even possible. And maybe those players are still kind of raw. Woolen, I believe, is a former wide receiver. Yeah. But you get them into your system, you can't teach speed and height, and you think maybe we can work with this guy. Those guys will be available in the later rounds, but some names to know. And some of it's football, how it's evolved. Like, in, you go to any high school game, most of them, you're going to see four wide receivers. Those receivers turn into safeties and corners <laughs> in college, and that's why these guys are running four three threes and four two sixes. Another couple that have caught my attention, Jaylor Armour Davis of Alabama, a bigger safety kind of corner combo. Uh, and you mentioned scene of Georgia. Uh, Nick Cross of Maryland is another guy that gets my attention because what else is in this category when you're looking for the Kansas City Chiefs is Dave Tobe gets involved in this discussion in the Sneed Factor because some of these guys, particularly where you're picking now uh, is the, or the fact that these guys could become four core special teams guys right out of the gate, which leads me into the f- uh, final part of our value part of this uh, podcast, the the kingdom volume uh, value victory. And that is the returner position. If you think of a guy that can be a, okay, a smaller corner here, but end up being your returner, a guy like Marcus Jones of Houston, who has been compared to Dante Hall. Yeah. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, you get your dime corner, but also becomes your primary returner. That allows McCall Hardman then to focus even more on the wide receiver position. Another guy on the other side would be like Calvin Austin of Memphis, small guy, thought to be a gadget dude, right? Okay. You can see uh, Andy Reid being creative with him. But also think about getting a returner in this draft. If you are bored at work right now, or whatever you're doing, <laughs> as long as you're not driving, if you are somewhere where you can watch highlights, look up Marcus Jones from Houston because he will put a smile on your face. He's like five foot eight, okay? But he is electrifying in the return game. And you mentioned it. He was compared to Dante Hall by, I think, Lance Zerline from NFL.com. He's awesome. I mean, just awesome in the open field. Uh, Pro Football Focus called him the best return man in this draft. You can find him in maybe the third or the fourth round, but that's not it. So he doesn't have great height, sure. He's solely a slot corner in the NFL. But if you watch like the energy and the fight this dude plays with, I mean, it makes up for that height in a big way. He's always hustling. He's always giving it his all. He's a lot of fun to watch. And he was a playmaker at Houston. And in the NFL, when teams are trotting out four wide receiver sets on a regular basis, it doesn't hurt to have a guy like Marcus Jones and maybe the dime uh, that, that can come in there and give you really good snaps on defense in addition to what he's doing as a return man. So Marcus Jones, a uh, really exciting player. Check him out if you haven't already. Another guy, if you want to go like Niall Davis and go retro to 2015, uh, when you look at a returner would be Zamir White uh, of Georgia. Bigger running back, but he's returned kicks. And you think about, you know, hey, bring back Niall Davis a little bit and join that running back room. Also had a block punt against Arkansas. As we close out now, our uh, victory portion of our, when you look at it, you look at volume. This is a very interesting draft, historic draft potentially for the Chiefs. Value in this draft overall, three victory. How do you win the 2022 NFL draft? First of all, you won't know Monday, right? (laughs) Monday after the draft, everybody's going to put out grades, and this team won this draft and this team didn't. I mean, if you go back and revisit those over the past, let's say, 10 years, you're going, well, that was ridiculous. You just can't. But with this draft, and go back to how we began this podcast, this draft 
will not be graded until the second or third year with these guys. Because to your point, it's a good one. If, let's say you keep eight picks. If six of those guys hit and become linchpins, then look at it in four years. Because, again, the Chiefs are kind of redoing some things here. Uh, but do you have a chance to win this draft by getting starters, not only immediate help in 2022, but guys who become the centerpieces of your team in the three to four years ahead? Absolutely. And I kind of hit this a few weeks ago in our last episode, but I'm going to expand on it again because I think it's really important. These 12 picks for the Chiefs are very important for the Chiefs in a vacuum, but also in the context of the larger AFC and where the AFC is going. Right now, the AFC is loaded. We all know that. There's a whole bunch of really good teams in the AFC with really good quarterbacks, and they're all going all in right now to beat one team, the Chiefs, because the Chiefs have been the team hosting the AFC title game for four straight years. Other teams are getting tired of that. But if you look at the context of the whole league right now and the quarterback contract situation, it's really worth talking about. So think about some of the teams that the Chiefs are um, trying to hold off in the AFC. So the Buffalo Bills are the, probably the best example. I think the Bills and Chiefs are a great young rivalry in the NFL right now. And the Chiefs have the upper hand in the postseason so far. We've seen that. The Bills are desperately trying to get to a Super Bowl before Josh Allen's money kicks in in his new deal. He is making $16 million against the cap uh, this year. That's nothing for a player of Josh Allen's caliber. Next year, it's $40 million, and it's $40 million just about every season for four years after that. And they're also paying Von Miller and Stephon Diggs $20 million each against the cap every year from 2023 to 2027. I know you can move money around. I know that the cap is manageable. But I'm just saying, when you're paying those three players that much money, something has to give eventually. You can't keep going out and going all in when you're paying those three players that much money. Look at the Chargers. If you look at historical precedent on when these players get paid, the Chargers are probably going to have to pay Justin Herbert after this upcoming season. He's going to want a ton of money. If you look at some of these other contracts that are being handed out, most likely a lot of guaranteed money. So when you're paying your quarterback that much, and particularly if it's a shorter deal, we'll see what kind of deal he does. Uh, Patrick Mahomes' 10-year deal was very unique. We're seeing usually three- to four-year deals for these quarterbacks where it resets every uh, several years. But they can't go out and sign J.C. Jackson and trade for Khalil Mack and re-sign Mike Williams when you're paying your quarterback that much money. The Bengals, same thing. Probably going to pay Joe Burrow after this upcoming season. And the Ravens have to pay Lamar Jackson after this season or franchise him because he'll be a free agent. So uh, it goes on and on and on. We saw Derek Carr got paid a bunch of money just last week. When these other teams have to pay their quarterback, the Chiefs are going to be in a position where their quarterback is already under contract for a manageable amount, and they have just drafted a ton of players in the top three rounds of this draft who are hopefully making a big impact and are totally under contract and manageable for several years. I'm telling you that the way the AFC is going, it's a great opportunity in this draft for the Chiefs if they can hit to maintain dominance over this conference for a long time, just the way everything's lining up. So it's a big draft for those reasons. Got to find some impact players because it could extend this window uh, for maybe 10 years. The Chiefs are already at second base in this when you talk about the dynamics here because the Chiefs are basically going through that now. Once um, Patrick Mahomes ended the second part of his contract here, now, said the Chiefs are making that adjustment. So for all of those teams in the division, and, and again, when you see these contract deals peel through all of the of the fluff and the and the frosting, look at the guaranteed money. And you mentioned it with the Chargers. You get two guys, forty million guaranteed, forty million guaranteed in these deals. That's where you look at as far as the impact of having because 
that doesn't go away. You can amortize that all you want. That <laughs> is going to be on the books. Okay, so that being said, for those teams, and here's, what, here's the point we're trying to make, when they're now in the position because they're chasing the Chiefs for a set at second base already, will they have 12 picks when they're sitting there making the adjustment to go to the second phase of those deals? And that's where the Chiefs are at this point. But you've got to make it happen with the picks. I'm going to end the episode this way with my two favorite names of this draft. Because for the Chiefs to win the 2022 NFL draft, it's got to be Sauce and Smoke. <laughs> All right? Sauce Gardner is going to be way gone, right? Yeah. The reason Cincinnati was in the college football playoff, look at the dudes they have <laughs> yeah. in this draft. They got them all over the place. Brian Cook. Okay. And the other thing I didn't mention is that one of the things that could take this uh, draft off the rail is that somebody's going to get enamored with the quarterback. I think it's going to be Malik Willis of Liberty. Somebody, maybe Seattle here, Seattle's going to trade up to get it done, right? They're not sitting there at the first-round pick. But Malik Willis of Liberty started at Auburn. Gives me a Russell Wilson kind of look. There's even a little bit of a right-handed Michael Vick. He's not that athletic, but there's some intrigue. Somebody may get intrigued with him and jump up, and then all of a sudden things kind of go off the rails here. At times during this draft offseason process, we've seen the experts come out and say, I don't have a single quarterback in my top 30. Now we're kind of seeing these guys creep back into the mock drafts, but the reality is at least one and probably two will go in the first round. Uh, the last time a quarterback didn't go in the first round was 1996. It's only happened five <laughs> times since the merger. It's going to happen. Someone's going to take Malik Willis, uh, and probably someone's going to take Kenny Pickett. And maybe somebody takes Sam Howell from North Carolina. The Panthers were meeting with him reportedly today, or Matt Corral from Ole Miss. I don't know. This always happens with the draft where guys are taken that you maybe didn't even expect because a certain team falls in love with them. It only takes one team. And that helps the Chiefs. I mean, if Malik Willis goes uh, 19 to New Orleans, for example, that's who Lance Zierlein has him going to in his latest mock draft uh, on NFL.com. Then that's Kenny Pickett going 20 to Pittsburgh. It pushes everybody else down. That helps the Chiefs. If it's up to me, I hope four quarterbacks go in the first round because that only does us favors. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But there's always a team that you didn't expect, like the Chiefs in 2017, uh, trading up to take a quarterback. No one saw that coming, right? So uh, it could happen, and I welcome it because uh, if teams are taking quarterbacks in the first round, that means good news for the Chiefs. A player that maybe wouldn't have been available originally at edge or wide receiver or a different position uh, will be at 29 or 30. Somebody's going to make a run. It's either going to be or it's going to be the wide receiver run that pushes the edges down. It's either going to be an edge run that pushes the wide receivers down. Somebody's going to be enamored with Willis and take him. Just, just saying. Uh, but smoke and sauce. I got <laughs> off. I got off of target here. Uh, just because Sauce Gardner, man, what a name. But Smoke Monday, smoke Monday, the safety of the Auburn Tigers, baby. Anybody that gets Smoke Monday, if the Chiefs get Smoke Monday, <laughs> uh, it'll be too good. But don't you think for the Chiefs to win uh, the 2022 NFL Draft, and again, it, we won't know the grade overall if they're going to win it or not until two or three years after this draft, they need some sauce and smoke. I'm going to call Brett on draft night and say, <laughs> Brett, listen. Can you imagine Mitch's touchdown call of Smoke Monday has a pick six to the end zone? Can you imagine? And maybe he can weigh that in his own mind against, you know, all of his research. But he's, a, he's a good player, too, by the way. He's not just a goober. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Smoke Monday can play. Uh, he's Matt McMullen. I'm Mitch Holtis. Get ready for the 2022 NFL draft. Again, this is a draft where the Chiefs have volume. Uh, historically, a volume of picks here. Two, there's a lot of value in this draft. Three, victory. The Chiefs, in this next phase of getting things done, uh, want to win the 2022 NFL draft. And, yes, a draft, hopefully, of sauce and smoke. 
Touchdown!